Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be stricken with esotropia if I had to see that you missed this week's show. Equitable project management. An automated soap dispenser. One of the most innocuous objects imaginable. Unless it doesn't dispense soap to people with dark skin. How does bias find its way into technology projects and hurt outcomes? How can we implement technology through an equity lens? Ruben Singh from One-Tenth Consulting returns to help us understand. And make time for professional development. Kalenda Allen James explains the value of investing in professional development and shares a lot of free resources along the way. She's with Common Point Queens. These both continue our coverage of N10's 2023 Nonprofit Technology Conference. On Tony's Take Two, sharing is caring. We're sponsored by DonorBox. With intuitive fundraising software from DonorBox, your donors give four times faster. Helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Here is Equitable Project Management. Welcome back to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 23NTC. We're kicking off our day two coverage with Ruben Singh. We are sponsored at 23NTC by Heller Consulting, technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. Ruben Singh, my guest now, is founder and CEO of One-Tenth Consulting. Ruben, welcome back to Nonprofit Radio. Thank you, Tony. Glad is this, your, is this your second or third? Oh, this is our third time chatting here. Right? Yeah, yeah. We did two virtual. Yes. It's good to meet you That's, in person. Yes, for sure. Nice Thank you, you so much for having me. My pleasure. It's good to have you next to me. Alrighty. Your session this year is managing projects <clears throat> with an equity lens. Right. I, I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but why don't you give us a 30,000-foot overview of why this is important for nonprofits? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like um, throughout my years of consulting, it's been about 25 years of consulting now, I've I, I've encountered some scenarios here and there that, um, you know, I, I've always thought were, were odd scenarios, you know, in the middle of a project, you know, working with consultants, working with our uh, nonprofits where, you know, maybe something was borderline discriminat- discriminatory or, you know, something just didn't feel right. And, and you know, I when I was younger <laughs> in, the, in the consulting space, uh, I didn't really pay much mind to it. I said, hey, I'm just following, you know, my mentors, I'm following best practices, I'm you know, I'm learning the ropes. Um, but, you know, as I got further in my career and I started talking to other, you know, technologists of color, other consultants, um, and uh, and in, honestly, spaces like this at NTC, uh, where we have very frank and open discussion about race and technology and the intersection, yeah. it really, um, I, I realized that a lot of these things I was encountering in these projects were not were not okay. Uh, they, they were problematic, and and in fact, uh, we were allowing bias, race, um, and uh, it, it, to to really seep its way into projects. Um, and and not only is is that problematic in a, in a larger sense, but but also does not lead to good outcomes uh, for the projects and the systems uh, themselves. What what does this look like? What what kind of forms does the the bias, the racism take? 
Um, well, let me give you an example, if, that, if that's yeah. okay. Stories or examples are perfect, yeah. Yeah, so um, you know, I was working with one organization that uh, you know had really said that, and actually I was, I was very impressed with them, that they had very, um, a very strong diversity statement, equity statement, uh, and they even extended it to their goals. They say, you know what, we're, we have a lot of volunteers, we're a volunteer organization, but we... Um, we realize that we don't have a very diverse volunteer group. So uh, this is going to be not only a statement of ours that we want to diversify our volunteer uh, uh, group, but we also want to, you know, we, we want to implement that in 20, you know, whatever the year was. Um, and, um, and, and just what kind of work were they doing? Um, well, I mean, I, I don't want to get too... <laughs> oh, well, just, gener- just generally. Yeah, general, um, social they, service? They, or, they were... Um, grassroots organizing? Grassroots or, organizing. Let's put it under that category. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're a great organization. <laughs> so I'd, I'd hate to... Um, yeah, no, I'm not asking you... Yeah, throw them under the bus. But name I, them. Right, right. But, um, but I think um, the... Uh, yeah, definitely in the, in the grassroots organizing. Okay. And, um, you know, they kind of found that they are... Um, uh, you know, that they need to diversify their volunteer base. And I appreciated that not only was it a statement, but they had taken a step further to make it part of their goals for that particular year. But then, you know, statements aside, once we got into the project, we realized that, um, you know, there were certain, uh, there were certain um, algorithms that were being, uh, that were implemented in their volunteer searches that actually filtered out a lot of criteria. So they said, oh, you know what, we, we have so many applicants, we can't, you go, we can't screen everybody. So we implement these filters. And the filters will, you know, and the filters kind of looking at them, I realized it's really going to, you know, leave you with very privileged, resourced people, you know, get, gets an education, family education, household income, so on and so forth. And so, you know, we had this dialogue of, you know, if if these are really your goals that you want to diversify uh, and you want different socioeconomic um, uh, groupings in your volunteer base, then you really need to reconsider this. And it was just a perfect example of how, with all good intentions, with great diversity statements, um, but even something as simple as an algorithm in their search um, was was really letting bias uh, find its way into into the implementation. And it that's an ideal example because mm-hmm. it, it's so buried. Mm. I mean, most people, I mean, that may have been developed by a, a developer or sure. I mean, it may have not even been developed in house. Right. You know, some developer from like, could have been years ago yeah. may yeah. have created this algorithm unintentionally, let's mm-hmm. assume, uh, biased. And it just, it just perpetuates and nobody even knows that it's there. It's, yep. right? it's, it's yeah. buried in code. Yep. Uh, basically right? for sure uh, for sure and algorithms and, live yeah and, and if I'm a developer and someone comes to me and says we have too many applicants we need to filter out X Y and Z to make it easier well as a developer oftentimes I'm thinking oh how can I make this better how can I make this more efficient um, and, and they don't really think about it so so this is where I think you know um, it, I, I take it upon myself as a consultant to, to really and a D, DEI practitioner to to raise these things um, because again these organizations have great intentions uh, they're just not always able to bridge the gaps unless it's called out Unless it's called out, right? So, yeah. I mean, so if you have something like this, mm-hmm. buried deep, how would you ever discover it? Yeah. It, it, and that kind of goes to really the title of the session is is managing projects with an equity lens. So, the, 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 the key point there is is not really separating things. So it's not about, okay, well, we have this diversity statement, let's all celebrate it, and now let's move on to our project. Yeah. It's really yeah. um, taking every single part of the project. Anytime, uh, in fact, when we start projects now, 
I will ask for, yeah, let me see your diversity statement. Let me, even if, you know, chances are you may not be reflecting on it a lot, let's dust it off, you know, after 2020 and, and let's take a look at it. Um, and, and, uh, and just like we review missions and visions of the organization before a project, I want to review your diversity statement. That way I can make sure every step of the way I'm asking these questions. Because, hey, it's your statement. It's, it's a priority for you. So as a, as a, um, uh, a trusted partner of yours, I should make, hold you accountable to that. I'm just, I'm concerned, yeah, I understand we're talking about managing projects, so from the outset, I'm concerned about organizations that have any kind of bias uh, coded in somewhere that that they just, they don't know. I I know, so we're digressing, I understand we're digressing Mm. from your topic. We got plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We got plenty of time. Uh, You know, I'm forcing you to digress. No, no. I'm asking you to digress. Yeah, for Um, sure. You know, but if this if this if this thing is buried somewhere, or these things, these biases are buried, uh, what's our hope of ever uncovering them? Well, I mean, I, I think. Um you know, it, it's interesting. Even in day one of, of the conference here at NTC, I, I attended a couple sessions, uh, and you know, the, then the narratives or the points that I was bringing up was not just coming out in my session, but you know, I attended a session that spoke about audience and campaigns, and you know, uh, de- developing um, uh, content that's you know that that resonates with audiences um, that are often you know overlooked. Uh, and 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 so it was interesting because in their discussion, they were bringing up a lot of the same points that I was bringing up. So. Um, I'm most hopeful because of uh, to be, and, and I, I swear that Nten did not put me to this, but I, I, I think like organizations like Nten, forums like NTC, um, you know, we're, we're putting things out there, and I think that's what gives me hope more than anything. Um, you All know, right, we're, we're raising consciousness. Yeah, yeah. You and I are talking about it for sure. Thirteen thousand people are going to listen. Absolutely. So, so I mean, if that's if that is that alone gives me gives me a lot of hope. Okay. All <laughs> right, we can circle back to your sure. your specific topic about managing projects. So that yeah. we're, we have a equity focus, right. equity centered from from the outset. Yeah. Okay. Um, how uh, one of your? I'm, I'm just going to your like yeah. learning objectives. How mm-hmm. how bias finds its way into tech projects? Well, mm-hmm. I think we, we mm-hmm. talked about that. It, yeah. it happens. I mean, I think probably. Do you think it's usually innocuous? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really do. Um, and and um, it, it finds its way, and and then I think it also finds its way through what we often refer to as best practices. Um, you know, if, if I can give you an example, um, through most of my consulting career, we often use personas uh, as a way of trying to understand our constituents. So, you know, Mary is a single mother of two and wants to attend uh, the museum, but, you know, is unable to afford the uh, the, 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 um, the entrance fee or the membership fee. Um, and, you know, again, I, I kind of sat through a lot of these things with, you know, feeling uncomfortable, but, you know, thinking it was just me. Um, but then I started doing a little more research and I realized I'm, I'm definitely not the only problem with, with personas. Um, and the idea of, you know, a group of mostly, you know, white folks are, are sitting in a room deciding, you know, what their black constituents think. Um, yeah. and that, that makes me yeah. uncomfortable. And, and, and um, to the point where I've, I've raised this and, and I think that although I think persona mapping is a good exercise and can, and does have merit, it can be done without race, ethnicity, gender. Uh, you, you can take a different approach to it. You can use archetypes. You can use different models. 
that say, hey, you know, so-and-so is a person who's never been to the, to the museum before. So-and-so is a person who uh, is very interested in education, but not so much interested in the advocacy work that we do. There's different ways that we can get at um, persona mapping without having to get into race, ethnicity, gender. If, if I mean, personally, I don't think it's very useful, but, um, but at a minimum, uh, it, it surely would make people uncomfortable. You know, I'm, I'm saying that these are these things maybe are, are embedded innocuously, but yeah. they come from the fact that so many software engineers, developers, mm-hmm. coders right. are now middle-aged white guys, <laughs> right? I mean, so uh, it's 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 their own inherent biases built into the code that we're we're all living with. And and, and to be fair, Tony. I- I also feel I'm guilty of it as well. I mean, because I went many, most of my career not speaking out against these things and, um, you know, in, in incorporated it into my own style. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, yeah, while you're right, I, I think like, you know, um, it's, it's, it's not, it's also the onus on you know, all folks, technologists of color as well, um, to make sure we're raising our hands when we're seeing something like this, that, 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 that feels, that feels wrong. Um, so, but yeah, I, I feel like I've, I've perpetuated this. I participated in this and, you know, starting my own company it was it was one thing that I, I felt like okay well now that we're now that I understand now that I know now that I've seen it you know what can I do differently what are some different different things that we can do to um, uh, to, to kind of right the wrongs that, that we've seen in the space we're going to talk about how the, all this impacts outcomes but yeah, sure. I, I do want you to remind folks why your company is called One Tenth oh. Consulting <laughs> yeah you know there's a couple plays on it um, you know we um, uh, in the in the Sikh tradition which I'm from we uh, we have this concept of uh, one tenth of our uh, of our earnings that we give through either service or through funding to um, to charity back to the uh, uh, back to the community um, to help those in need to help humanity and it was interesting that um, that's a tradition that you know is, is you know I, I grew up with but um, as I started delving into nonprofit work and, and consulting I realized that we weren't the only ones uh, that that in fact most religions actually have this same idea and the same um, or, uh, or faith traditions have this idea yeah, of this ten percent. I know it is tithing. The tithing, yeah, exactly. It's one, one tradition. So, so it was just one of those things. I thought was, hey, this is a pretty cool thing about you know, um, you know, giving our money, uh, investing our money in communities, um, and it's something that you know, so many different faith traditions and communities have in common. Um, th- there's another play on it also that nonprofits are really working with one tenth of the resources that <laughs> that they need. That they need. So, yeah. so it, it it has sort of a, a couple different meanings. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the outcomes. Sure. How these biases uh, impact outcome. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, I was giving the example yesterday in the presentation that uh, w- one of the the sort of suggestions I had about you know seven or eight different suggestions on how we can um, address these issues of bias and projects. And one of the ones I brought up was making sure that you know as you walk into as you you know day one or kick off of a pro- of a project implementation that you have the right team that's ready for you. Um, and when I say right team, oftentimes with IT projects, I walk in and and they're like, okay, here's our team. It's the IT director. It's uh, super users, and it's all technical folks. And and yeah, okay, you know, I, I see the merit to that. But if this system is really meant to be for everyone, then I'd like to see people there of different age, of different technical proficiency, different ethnicities, uh, different race, um, because we all sort of process things a little bit different based on our upbringing and our experiences, our shared experiences. Um, so make sure your team is more diverse. Um, and you know, I, I start thinking about where that has not happened. Um, 
you know, and, and you, you've probably heard the stories of, of, you know, where facial recognition and AI can go wrong. But, you know, it's still to this day where we're sometimes in a restroom that has automatic soap dispensers. I can put the back of my hand underneath it and it won't uh, it won't dispense soap until I you know put the palm of my hand up and it will. Um, you know, I think back about uh, when the covid vaccine was first rolled out. That's and a fascinating one. Do freaking <laughs> soap dispensers you know, are, it's a real thing. are biased uh, biased toward white It's it's color. a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Soap uh, dispensers. Soap dispensers. <laughs> and no one would think to, to think about it's it. It's not even I'm laughing. It's not, it's tragic. It's yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, soap dispensers. But, but there's there's so many examples of this and um. a, a slightly different one and probably something many pe- people can relate to is when the covid the covid vaccine was was rolled out um you know, I was. Uh, I called my parents. I said, "Hey, did you sign up for it? Did you register for it?" They said, "Oh no, we can't fill out this form." And I was like, "Wondering what's what's going on." So I looked at the form, and sure enough, I mean, and granted, this was in the early stages, and perhaps it was just where I lived, but it was um, multiple pages, four pages long. Uh, you couldn't save uh, throughout. Um, it was medical history. It was health insurance. It was um, all kinds of information that people may not have readily available when they're signing up for a a, a vaccine. Um, and then the entire time, there's this timer going where in 10 minutes if you don't finish you have to start over like you're buying tickets to, exactly. to a Bruce Springsteen concert exactly exactly oh, and maybe my. this is okay for, for, for lots of people but for the immigrant community or for my parents who are in their 80s uh, it was not working for them and then sure enough you go on the news and they say you know older folks and and immigrant communities are not, not signing up for the vaccine <laughs> so you know here me and my friends are calling all our relatives and you know signing them up um, so it was just yet another example where um, you know and, and there's many examples of this but uh, of just how, you know, perhaps if there was different folks involved in the process of testing this out, um, you know, of different ages, of different ethnicities, of different communities, uh, maybe there would have been a better response. It's time for a break. Stop the drop with DonorBox. Over 50,000 nonprofits in 96 countries use their online donation platform. It's no wonder. Four times faster checkout, easy payment processing, Setup fees, psh. monthly fees, pshaw. Contract, huh. How many putative donors drop off before they finish making the donation on your website? You can stop the drop, donor box, helping you help others at donorbox.org. Now back to Equitable Project Management with Ruben Singh. Anything else about outcomes before we move to to some some methodology about being better? Yeah, yeah, outcomes. I mean, I think... um yeah, I, I think that's that's a key don't, one. Yeah, yeah, don't hold out on nonprofit radio. Listen, <laughs> you did your session, so we want to hear everything you shared yesterday. Yeah, yeah I, I think um, you know another uh, point we brought out was, uh, and I think it is tied to outcomes, is uh, iterative development. And you know, you may think that's sort of a deep project management, you know, concept. What does that have to do with equity? Um, but I, I do believe that iterative project management is key because if you do bring together a diverse set of folks for you as your project team, they're not all going to be CRM experts or digital communication experts. So you cannot just, um, 
hand the project group 350 requirements and say, okay, approve them by the end of the week. Or disappear for two months and say, okay, here's the system. Test it in a week and let us know if it's done. It's just not going to work. If you want to do things with equity in mind um, and you're trying to get a diverse audience, you need very iterative development. You need multiple proof of concepts. You need um, uh, several demos because they may just not understand all the terminology. They may not understand all the um, the nuances uh, until they see things um, you know, because that's what's most related to their day-to-day job when they can actually see the systems in place. So I can't tell you, Tony, how many times I've, I've finished a project, you know, early in my career and, you know, someone will finally come to me and say, you know, I've, we finished the project, we're on budget, we're on time, we checked all the boxes, we're all celebrating, but I have no idea how this is going to work. <laughs> I have no idea if this is going to be successful or not. And I don't want anybody to feel that way. So, so that's something that, you know, I, I believe we need to consult differently. We need to keep equity in mind. And we need to, uh, you know, really take them along for the ride. And if the ride's not working, we we change paths. Um, and, and I surely do that. I'm doing that right now for a project um, where it's like, you know, it, it, things are not sticking the way because, you know, this is not what the project team does day to day to design systems. So let's step back. Let's figure out what's going to work for you. And then we'll we'll adjust our, our project um, um, accordingly. Our listeners are not tech folks. Okay. Um, they're CEOs, fundraisers, yep. Yep. board members. Mm-hmm. What can they on the, so essentially... Your, your clients, mm-hmm. the users, what, what can they, and some of them in leadership positions, what, what can they do to make a difference around the, the, the projects that, that they're hiring sure. folks? They're, they're hiring other folks like you to do. <clears throat> Yeah, well, I think I think definitely, you know, going back to the assembling the right team and having a diverse uh, uh, team that's there. So the, the, the project, man- like the, the contributing management yes, exactly. group, whatever, uh, the users group. Exactly, whatever. exactly. Okay. Um, and, you know, and the key thing is if you don't have the expertise in-house, it, it's okay. There, there's, there's uh, you know, uh, uh, consultants that can help you with accessibility. There's consultants that can help you with um, human-centered design. Uh, I've met several of the folks here, <laughs> you know, uh, over the last couple of days. So if you don't have that expertise, expertise in-house. This is where I think management leadership can can bring in those appropriate people. Um, and also, um, I was working with one organization that said, well, you know, we don't know how our how our co- local community feels about our museum, let's say. Well, go ask them, you know, uh, and, and it's a different, if it's a different way of thinking. And so this is where leadership really comes into play to say, okay, well, you know, can we do something externally? Can we do surveys? Can we do focus groups? Can we bring the community in and understand why they're not attending? Um, but I think a key thing also, and this may not be something that folks always think about is requesting the right team from the vendor that you bring in. So just as you want a diverse, thoughtful team internally, you want your consultants or vendors that's coming in to also represent that. Um, You know, I was facilitating some vendor selections for a particular uh, implementation on behalf of the client. And then towards the end of the selection process, they said to me, um, well, you know, the last two that we met, they were pretty much neck and neck. I, I, you know, they, they seem to have the same delivery model. Their prices are about the same. But I did notice that only one of them had any people of color or any women uh, on their team that they brought to us to demo the, the solution and to talk to us about the approach. And that right there shows us they're more aligned with our values than the other one is. And so this is something I tell my, my peer organizations all the time. Like, if, if you don't care about equity and diversity in your projects, your clients will. <laughs> and that's going to affect your bottom line. So if nothing else, <laughs> you know, look at it from that perspective. So, so that's, that's something I think leadership management can do is, you know, bring the right people internally, bring the right people in externally if need be, and, and, and feeling comfortable enough to, um, to, uh, to ask for, for uh, the right team. Uh, an, another element of that is 
in leadership as you're bringing in partners. This vendors. is all incredibly, incredibly oh. valuable, by the way. <laughs> Excellent, thank this you. Is what, I mean, this is what the listeners need. Awesome. Because they're not the developers, so more of it, yes. Appreciate very, it, appreciate very valuable. it. Yeah, I'm try- I get all riled up when I talk about this. It's something do. I'm so passionate no, about. I love it. <laughs> Feel free to use your hands. I mean, yeah. we're not, oh, yes. We're, we're not, you can even be obscene with your gestures. We're not recording video. So. Yeah, definitely walking around in yesterday's session. There's a lot, a lot of hand movement going on. Um, but, uh, you know, we, I, uh, one of the points I mentioned yesterday also is this partner and vendor diversity. And, you know, this is something I feel strongly about. I, I happen to serve on the um, Salesforce Partner Equality uh, uh, Committee. Um, and this is something I've, I've been advocating for for a while that, you know, you have um, these great uh, tools that allow you to search for different partners. But why can't we have filters on that to say, I'm looking for a system implementer that is run by a person of color or someone from the LGBTQIA community or from the indigenous community or whatever. Um, and we should, we know the information. So why, well, we've been taking surveys for decades uh, and we've identified that there's a problem with diversity. Well, why not give the customers a choice? Uh, why not allow them to uh, apply some filters to say, you know what, this is part of our goals to uh, to bring in more vendors of color um, or, or owned by, by vendors of color. So, so let's uh, so let's uh, uh, make that a priority. But we have to give them the information. Um, so this is something I encourage folks. Even when I'm asked, um, okay, Ruben, you know, you're you focus on this particular area, but you know, for digital communications, can you recommend someone? I will make sure in any two, three people that I recommend um, that one of them will represent a community that is often overlooked uh, in this nonprofit technology space, and give them the choice, and tell them that, and give them the choice. Um, yeah, you can work with this person that uh, yeah, we've we've worked with for a long time. Time, or here's the advantages of working with with um, uh, with this organization, and and I think you know by us taking that initiative, you know, um, and by leadership asking for it, we're going to slowly start you know adjusting that 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 power dynamic and, and creating more balance in the space. So much of it, I think, is just, is consciousness, mm. thinking about your software development projects, yeah. your CR, your your new CRM, yeah. uh, your new HR system, you know, whatever it is. Uh, thinking about being thoughtful about the vendors yeah. that you talk to, perhaps the consultants that you hire to help you select yeah. a vendor, because yeah. that um, that's an that's an important step in the in the process of actually implement uh, you know uh, choosing a choosing one is who's helping you to choose for sure. So, and 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 I think that. Um, you know, I get a lot of pushback when I bring this up. They say, oh, well, you know, uh, yeah, our what accountant... What, what do they say? You know, account executives, they have their relationships with people. So they, they bring in their, their their person. You know, they bring in their vendor. They bring in their partner. They bring in the person. And there's no real regulation over that. Um, and, um, you know, you take these larger software companies and they kind of leave it to the discretion of the account executive to make their decisions on, you know, what partners they bring in. And frankly, you know, I... I I've worked with organizations. But, but this is where the client can say... Client can say something. I'd, I'd like some choices. Yeah. I, not just your, your preferred. Yeah. I'd like some choices, and I want at least one to be right. a woman-owned business or a person 100%, of color. 100%. Because these preferred partners are not always the best. I mean, And I speak firsthand. I've, I've had to undo a lot of messes from these preferred partners. Okay. And and I'd say that... Um, and, and when I sit and talk to other partners, um, you know, who uh, that, that, where, uh, that are your partner organizations that are women-owned or owned by uh, people of color, they say, yeah, you know, we feel left out of this mix because we all know that if you just leave it to discretion, um, that is, as we've seen, you know, throughout history, that's where privilege, race, and, and racism and bias, uh, you know, end up being the default. The cynic in me questions <laughs> questions why these folks are preferred partners. Yeah. What, what kind of preferences are they giving? 
Uh, okay. Yep. I'm equally cynical, so I, I should stop there. I'm, 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 I'm purely speculating, but yeah. you know the way you're describing it. Right. The preference seems yep. to not be based on uh, talent and and positive outcome. Not not from what I've seen, yeah. and and I think yeah. you know our company is an example of that. Uh, you know we we are often you know left out of the, the you know the the, the big uh, marketing efforts. Um, you know and and um, but you know when we work with organizations. Um, you know, our business has been 100% referral after that, um, and and because we we are mindful of all these things, we you know we have a decent success rate, and so, um, and, and so our business has been 100% referral based after that. We've stopped advertising, stopped marketing, stopped stop all of that, okay. and and we often find ourselves um, uh, uh, being connected with other nonprofits that serve communities of color, um, because they're like, hey, you know, just the fact that you're thinking about these things, uh, we our our experiences are different, and the fact that you can even and recognize that, you know, we want to work with you. Um, so, so, and, and we've been very grateful for that, and 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 you know, take that very seriously when organizations come to us uh, with, with that kind of um, uh, approach. Is there anything else you can recommend for our listeners on the on the client side that, that they can do? Yeah, you know, there's there's you know probably a couple other things that that I think are important. Uh, you know, things like a project charter, which may seem. Um, well, everyone has a project charter, or that's really just a very. What's the, char- what's the charter? It, it, it's a. Um, it's kind of like a at the very beginning of the project, it outlines kind of who's who, what the goals are, um, how decisions will be made, um, you know, the, the frequency of meetings, who are the stakeholders. So it's oh, kind of like defines like, like bylaws. Around, bylaws. That's around, a great, that's a great way around your process. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And it's it's okay. always recommended that you know the the project management institute recommends project charters has all kinds of templates for it, but I will. Say that you know, practitioners uh, don't always invest a lot of time in it. It feels like an unnecessary step. Um, I, in the past, have not spent a ton of time with it. But when I started looking at things through an equity lens, I said, you know what, this is really important. If nothing else, um, definitely the the stakeholders part and the decision making process. Because if we leave. Um, Unless we have very clear ways where decisions are made, oftentimes it can end up being the most influential person in the room, the loudest male voice in the room is going to sway the decision one way or another. Or, you know, a lot of sort of... um, uh, you know, nice talk is happening in the larger meeting, and then the executives go in a separate meeting to make it, you know, the, the real decision. Um, and, and so, like, you know, a good charter can help avoid these things and say, hey, look, you know, as a project team, we trust each other. So if there's a executive decision that needs to be made, we're going to make it in the group. You know, at least everyone should be listening to it. Everyone should be here for it. Um, so I think a clear project charter is something very tangible that folks can do. Okay. I think having very clear uh, meeting norms, um, and you know, meeting norms are a very common thing. You know, how we start the meeting, how we end the meeting. You know who takes notes, so on and so forth. But I think looking at that from an equity lens um, uh, is very important, also. So making sure that you know the person who is leading the meeting or taking the notes or advising you know, that those roles rotate. Um, so again, we're we're not leaving, we're not uh, letting decisions be made strictly through the power dynamic. We're we're allowing um, everybody to participate equally. So if we allow people to participate equally, the outcomes are likely to be more equitable. Um, so even something as simple that you know many project managers do, uh, charters and norms, uh, you know, it's just about looking at it through an equity lens uh, and, and uh, tweaking those charters and norms uh, accordingly. Okay. All yeah. right. Have we exhausted that? I think so. I think so. Folks on the client side. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Yeah. All valuable. Like I said. Um, what kinds of questions did you get? Anything uh, stick with you the, from your from your session? You know, um, yes, uh, there was a couple questions that, and uh, um, one of the questions which I, you know, really had to think about was, well, you know, our organization um, 
does projects with an agile uh, approach. And that is our, you know, that is our methodology. And that is what we promote. That is part of our marketing. That's what we do. And, um, and then, you know, they said to me, you know, to the group that, we're also finding that it's not working for nonprofits. Uh, and I think there, there's an equity, you know, foundation to this as well. And, you know, a lot of nodding heads in the, in the audience. And, um, and, and this is where I kind of said, well, you're right, you know, and, and this is where we need to meet the nonprofits where they are. Um, and I, this is where the Accenture models or some of the more popular consulting models um, are just not not going to fit nonprofits. Organizations that may have a, a light IT staff or no IT staff, or you have an event yeah. coordinator yeah. who's going to be your project manager, um, or you know a program manager who is going to be your primary contact. Uh, you can't just use the same models as you would with an organization that had 20 people in IT, um, or an organization you know like I work with that you know um, we're, we're midway through an implementation. And then they said, you know, the governor of Texas just dropped off, you know, 200 people to our um, to our community center, and we don't we have no plan for them right now. So okay, we have to take a couple weeks off, <laughs> or you know, this gala, you know, was was. Um, uh, was in person and now we're going to have to go virtual. Okay, we're going to have to take a couple weeks off. So most consulting models and especially agile methodologies can't support this. But this is the reality of nonprofits in 2023. So uh, it was a great question. A lot of nodding heads. In fact, someone came up to me afterwards and said, this is the third time I've heard someone say, the, you know, model X does not work for nonprofits. So, so I think um, that question was great, and it really, um, you know, highlighted the point of you know kind of how important these forums are um, to start realizing that you know the, the tried and true methods, the models that have worked for other corporations, that's great. We can learn from it, but um, nonprofits are a different entity, and, and we have to take that into account. And that's for the vendor consultant uh, uh, community. Yeah. To, to be be flexible right right and and also accommodating sure and also for the client to, to speak up when when they feel like things are not going not, you know yeah things are going awry or things are not feeling yeah, comfortable so yeah. i think it's 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 on both yeah okay um there were other questions that i i really didn't have an answer for like okay uh, but but they were excellent questions nonetheless it was yeah. it was like um okay so let's say that you do approach things with an equity lens how do you once the project is over it was an excellent question how do you know you succeeded how do you know that, you know, you, 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 how do you measure this? And I didn't have a great answer for that. I, in fact, said, you know, I want to think about this. And because I think there can be a rubric that can be put together to say, you know, even just the things that we've talked about today, um, did we assemble a team that is diverse? Did we uh, rotate the roles and the meeting norms? Did we make clear decision-making uh, details in our project charter? So I, th- I think there is a rubric that could be put together. In fact, I'm going to talk to some of my friends here in the, um, uh, in the N10 community to see if, if that's something we can, uh, you know, we can draft. Because it feels like something uh, that that this forum can, can really um, uh, add value to. And, and what about comparison of outcomes? Yeah. Maybe a year after implementation absolutely. versus the year before implementation. Absolutely, absolutely. So I mean, I think all, all these things can be measured. Uh, you know, it's it's just a matter of just coming up with the right rubric or the car, the, the right scorecard. We we measure everything else. Why not measure this? Yeah. All right, Ruben. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Great. You know, folks. It, it, if you ever are at a loss for, for an example of where bias and discrimination have entered our culture for folks of color, yeah. think of that freaking soap dispenser. It's so insidious and so deep-rooted, yet it's a soap dispenser. It's, it's, it, right. On its face, it's so innocuous. Right. It just pushes out liquid. <laughs> but... The, the bias built into right. that technology. Yeah. 
that's a striking one for me. It, yeah, and uh, there's so many of this. And if I if I may uh, highlight sure. the the work of uh, Ruha Benjamin, who who uh, um, who does uh, has an excellent book called Race After Technology, and many books on this same topic that just kind of talks about the intersection of, of race and technology, and so many more examples of this that are that are so uh, shocking when when you when you read about this about the the, the bias that incurs the technology that we use every single day. Yeah. Ruben Singh. He's founder and CEO at One Tenth Consulting. Ruben, thanks so much. Thanks, thanks for having me, Tony. Thanks for your honesty. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Appreciate it. And thank you for being with Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 20... Uh, where are we? 2023. Yep. 2023, the Nonprofit <laughs> Technology Conference, where we are sponsored by Heller Consulting, technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. Thanks so much for being with me. It's time for Tony's Take Two. Two. Sharing is caring. Who can you share nonprofit radio with? Friends, colleagues, people you used to be friends with. Well, no. People you used to be colleagues with. Yeah. Uh, your social channels. It's possible for you to post on the show there. Certainly, if you tag me, I will give you a shout out. Might even make you listener of the week. I'd be grateful if you would think about who should be listening to nonprofit radio, who can benefit from our smart guests. That's what it's all about. It's spreading the words, the wisdom of our savvy guests so that more nonprofits go out and be great. If you can share nonprofit radio, I'd be grateful. Thank you. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got Buku buttloads more time. The Buku is back. Here is Make Time for Professional Development. Welcome to our continuing coverage of 23 NTC, the 2023 Nonprofit Technology Conference. We're at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver, Colorado where we are sponsored by Heller Consulting, technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. With me now is Kalinda Allen-James. She is Assistant Vice President, Information Technology at Common Point, Queens. Kalinda, welcome. Thank you for having me. And I should have asked you, what are your pronouns? Um, she, her. Okay, she was good. I got... I got lucky, but I forgot to ask in the beginning. Mm -hmm. This was this worked out perfectly because I have such a smart social manager who was organizing all these appointments, and someone couldn't make it, and Kalenda was on the wait list, and uh, it worked out perfectly that she's available. So, thank you. It's kind of last minute, but it is last minute, but it's perfect. Glad you glad it worked out. With technology, we work with last minute. <laughs> it can yes, as long as the people are the people are there are ready for us too. Um, so you're session topic is making time for professional development. Do you feel like we are shortchanging ourselves and others around professional development in the nonprofit space? Yes. We are tasked with learning new things all the time, but we're not always given the time or the resources to learn those things. So we need, uh, it sounds like something from the top, like from the top down, leadership down, needs to be committed. So you can, top down leadership will make it a much faster process, but from the ground level up also works. 
Um, for example, pre-pandemic, I was working in middle school technology. Three years before the pandemic, I became a Google certified educator and trainer. When I put this information in the file cabinet at HR, they were like, that's nice to know. But once the pandemic came about us and we had to move all our students online in three days, having that information in the file cabinet allowed me to become a linchpin for my company. So let's let's not take this learning and stick it on a shelf in a file cabinet. Right. right. And so this is where when you do get the learning, you have to advertise it if you're doing it from the ground up. And going into the break room during staff meetings, letting people know that I'm a Google certified trainer allowed me to pick up two or three teachers on the staff who didn't necessarily have leadership support, but were interested. And I was able to do internal trainings. And so this groundwork movement that I started three years before pandemic really prepared my environment to be ready when the time was upon us. All right, love it. Ground, ground up as well. All right. It'll, but it'll be easier if it's top down. Yes. Okay. But not to, dis- not to be discouraged if your leadership is, uh, I don't know, reluctant. Yes. And even at the mid-level, you know, with my staff, I have allowed all my staff members to put two hours of professional development on their weekly work calendar to let them know that, hey, we're giving you resources during the workday, so we're not adding a burden to your home life. I also have the same two hours on my work calendar, so they know I have focus time. So I am leading by example, and also now that I am a leader in my organization, I am providing the resource of at least the two hours on the weekly calendar for professional development. Which is a perfect lead into your first takeaway, which is we have time for professional development. Yes. So make the time. I mean, a lot of times, you know, you hear as an excuse of what could be for anything, not only professional development, you know, I I can't find the time. And I always try to push back that you're never going to find the time. You're going to have to make it. Yes. So that's exactly consistent with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Two hours a week on your own schedule. Yes. As well as uh, two hours a week on on the schedule for everyone who works for you yes. devoted to professional development. Mm-hmm. And that time is flexible. Like some of my workers are reading leadership books. Some of my workers are doing independent trailheads on Salesforce. Yeah. Other people are like reinforcing things that they've been practicing on the job. Other people are collaborating with other people on the team who now have time on their calendar for collaboration. So, but just making the time lets the desired outcome have a place to flourish. What if we get uh, pushback from above? I mean, maybe they're just not, not just reluctant, but unwilling to let someone devote an hour a week or two hours a week to professional development. What, what are, what are like, I don't know, do you, are there some talking points we can yes so we can start with the economics okay if we have to send somebody to a away training with airplanes and hotel rooms for one person to go or we can use the built-in salary time to keep people in-house and learning as a cost savings it's thousands of dollars okay very good right Travel, accommodations, conference fees, etc. Okay, okay. 
Um, anything else? Any other way to push back against our, uh, an unwilling C-suite person? Also, when we are doing in-house development, we are more likely to align our trainings with what's happening on the ground with our company. When we're on the ground floor, we're literally looking at improvements that we're seeing every day in the company. Sometimes when we go away for the conferences, we get the big ideas and try to have to retrofit them to what our culture is. And so this way, if we start with the training internally, the learning is built around our culture. That makes perfect sense. Uh, uh, Yeah, and it's also going to be built around what we're engaged in because we're doing it weekly. So I guess we're more likely to look for development that is consistent with what we're maybe challenged with, you know, this month, this week or this month yes. or this quarter mm-hmm. versus, as you said, right, putting the putting the broad strokes from a conference, you know, trying to squeeze your work into it. Yes. The other way around. Oh, okay. Perfect. So, um, anything else you want to share about having having time, making time? So. Even in our personal life, because not all professional development is going to the job. Sometimes that professional development is going for you to improve your confidence, to improve your skill level, to make you more dynamic for the dynamic job market. You know, and with that case, when we look at our entertainment time, let's make sure that our entertainment is actually filling us up. There's a lot of like negative television. And so if your entertainment is not filling you up, maybe take one of those one hours from Netflix and chill and put into some professional development. Um, During the pandemic with all the turmoil, one of the things I did when I couldn't sleep at night was go into Microsoft Learn and just the raw technical documentation calm my mind, let me know things were okay. And I learned so much afterwards. Okay. Use your time wisely. Uh, uh, listeners, you may hear the uh, Nonprofit Technology Conference. Uh, it's the opening keynote. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of audience uh, raucousness in the background. But uh, Nonprofit Radio perseveres nonetheless. Just letting you know what you're hearing in the background. We're all on the exhibit floor together along with the, uh, the, the keynote audience this morning. Um, Kalinda, let's talk about... Um, free resources. I love having free resources for listeners. Yes. So when I was getting my master's degree in my small New York family apartment, I didn't have a desk. So I used the ironing board. (laughs) And I got a whole master's degree with a 4.0 GPA from an ironing board. We must not be discouraged if we don't have the latest, greatest resources. What we have can get us very far. When my ironing board was up, my family knew I was in study time, and they left me alone. When the ironing board was down, it was family time. Okay. Resources that I got was... Were, from, you, able to, were you able to fit a chair into your ironing board, or you, you did your studying standing? So standing desk. It was a standing desk at okay. times, <laughs> and I did have a folding chair from the card table. Okay. <laughs> All right. And um, free resources I used, I... Um, LinkedIn Learning is being offered by a lot of public libraries with your local library card. Once you register with your library card, you get the full breadth of LinkedIn Learning. And with the registration, your certificates for completion will have your name on it, which can be used as continued education at your job. 
Another free resource is the library. My local library is the children's library, but they do take book orders. So I can look at the full library catalog and have technical books shipped to my children's library for me to pick them up. Other free resources are... Um, That's a great one, by the way. I, yes. think, I think a lot of folks have forgotten about their local library. Mm -hmm. Yes. And many libraries have a complete schedule on their website offering different hands-on trainings for computer skills, resume writing. And you can go to many of these free things, and all is needed is your library membership. Other free resources that I have used is many of the major manufacturers like Salesforce, LinkedIn, Google have a very robust free training for their technology on their website. Many of those websites do have a badge system. So if you would like to do metrics for your employees as a recommendation, you could do like, oh, in this time period, I want you to have 500 badges or 500 points. So there is still a way to track the free learning. Okay. Any, any other free resources? Other free resources is when you're on your manufacturer website for different skills, um, places like Microsoft, Google, Salesforce, they offer challenges. If you can do a certain amount of self-paced learning in a certain time, you will receive a free voucher to take their certification exam. And during the pandemic, I was able to become Salesforce certified for a grand total of $45 by using one of these challenges. What about the LinkedIn learning? What, what, what kind of topics can folks find there around professional development? So LinkedIn learning has an amazing breadth of um, information. They have products like learn Adobe Photoshop. They do have professional management skills like time management, um, leading from the top. They have different introductory coursework on cloud computing, mm. and you get interesting information on the breadth of the subject to see if you're interested in the topic before you invest. So LinkedIn Learning is a great way to get um, uh, one, one distinct skill or to learn the breadth of a topic to see if you would like to go for a more formalized information in that topic. So this way you can go and do five training videos on cloud computing before you sign up for a graduate certificate. Okay, and all free. Yes, all free. Right. So when you said invest, you meant invest time. Yes, we're investing you, time. Yeah. So the first thing we can do that's available to everybody is we invest the time. And then we'll invest the minimal resources. You can become a Google certified educator for $15. Oh my goodness. You know, and so there are entryways into technology and other industries that do have a low cost entry point. And these are the places where we explore. And a lot of times when you can show commitment and self-initiative and you can present how this is going to grow your position at your company, it's then easier to come back and get funding from your job placement. All valuable. Okay. Yeah. You make the you, right. You can make the case so much stronger. All right. Um, anything else about free resources before we move on? Um, free resources change at all times, so okay. always be on the lookout. Um, I have a podcast, um, Study Hall with Clinda the Tech, 
And I also Wait, have... Say it a little slower. Sorry. My podcast is Study Hall with Kalinda the Tech. Okay. And I also have an Instagram at Kalinda the Tech. And on there, I post some of the free resources as I come by them. So follow technology leaders who are offering you these tips. And always be on the lookout in your free newspaper and your local library for resources as they come by. And let's move to um, sharing. We have a responsibility, you believe, for the, to share what we learn. Yes. The first thing to do is if you learn something, let your job know. You know, most HR departments are putting together an internal repository of what type of knowledge they have in their company. Like I said, in the beginning, nobody was interested in my Google certification pre-pandemic. But because it was on file with HR, they knew they had internal learning that they could tap when the time was right. Also, let people know what you're studying because there's people who are studying in silos and you can become a study buddy. Mm. Another thing is when you share what you're learning, it encourages people around you. Um, every day somebody is watching your life, a child, a neighbor, a business partner you have, a community person that you shop with. And when you show growth and change, it gives them hope that they can also have growth and change. Encouraging others, empowering others. Yes. All right. Um, mm -hmm. What about uh, mentoring? Is that is that related to professional development? Uh, having a mentor, mentoring if you are more senior like you are? Yes. You, you see a role in men around mentoring for professional development? Yes, mentoring does um, definitely help and have a place in professional development. But what mentees need to know is they're going to have to do the work to drive the relationship. So when you show up for your mentor session, you need to come with direct questions. You need to come with focused thought. And if you are given tasks, tools, or recommendations, make sure you follow through and report back. Um, mentors generally are at a place in their life where their time is being called in different directions. So entering a mentee relationship thinking that you're speaking to an oracle that's going to give you all the answers with a magic wand is the wrong approach. So entering the mentee-mentor relationship as a mentee, come prepared, come focused, and be prepared to work. What do you see as the, the mentor's responsibilities? The mentor's responsibility is to let them know that they have to be their first advocate. That you have to have a direction and I'm here as a guide. And that my blueprint as a mentor came in a distinct time and place in history. So what worked for me might not actually work for you if you're looking at my life as an exact blueprint. But I do have guiding principles that can help you in any time and place. It sounds like you've done mentoring. Yes. Have you formal mentoring? Mm -hmm. um, any story you can you, you care to share about mentoring? Maybe, maybe something you learned as a mentor or, um, of course, yeah. a great outcome for a mentee? Mm -hmm. Anything yeah. like that? And so yeah. the thing is we, we have... We love stories. Yeah, so... The thing is, when I started my career way back in 2001, black women and 
technology leadership was not what I saw. There was nobody who like, looking like me in the corner office. So my first mentors were black women in the secretary pool. Mm. And what they offered me was a deep dive lesson in the company culture. Letting me know who the movers and players were, explaining the fiscal calendar to me, knowing when would be the appropriate time to ask for a raise, when people would be having money discussions. And so when we're looking for mentorship, we have to realize there's a lot of breadth of life experience as well as technical experience that can be shared in these relationships. One of my mentors that was invaluable was a professional woman who had a um, personal tragedy in her life. And like what she shared with me was how to grieve on your lunch break, fix your makeup, and go back to a board meeting. You know? That's, that's, that's touching and sweet and also enormously practical. Yes. And valuable. Mm-hmm. Because people are introducing the bring your whole self to work mantra, but not all companies are there. So having mentorship like that about how to read a room, how to understand my company culture is great. I recently had a summer intern that I was mentoring with my company. We offer internships for many of the people in New York City through the Summer Youth Employment Program. And so we're working with young people all the time at the first steps of their careers through internship. And one of the things I remind my intern was, when looking for a job, please understand you cannot work for a company without participating in their culture. And he had a secondary internship for the fall, and he relayed back to me, thank you so much for the advice. All the interns who skipped the social gatherings over the summer were not offered full-time jobs for after graduation. Um, Because at these social gatherings, they were able to meet people throughout the whole company and different departments hire at different times versus being at your internship in one department, not realizing what's going on with the rest of the company. Also, the social time is just an opportunity to get to know somebody in a, in a wider breath. You know, I, I think a lot of hiring is, is this somebody I'd like to have lunch with, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that I could socialize with? Mm-hmm. There may or may not be that opportunity once you're hired, but mm-hmm. is it somebody, you know, basically, like, is it somebody I like? Mm-hmm. And they'll get to figure out that they like you if mm-hmm. they can see more of you than just your, your work self. Yes. And this is the great time to bring up the professional development you've been doing that is outside the scope of your everyday. Right, right. You know, this is where, oh, we're talking about this over the pool table. Oh, I just was taking a geometry class online. (laughs) You know, this fits in so well with that. It just gives you more organic conversations to talk about the things you're interested and the things you're pursuing. All right. Kalenda, anything else that you want to share about professional development that, that we haven't talked about yet? And you're going to, I don't, I don't want to shortchange nonprofit radio listeners. So yes. anything you're going to cover in the session tomorrow that we haven't talked about? So I would also like you to remember that all professional development doesn't have to be formalized. 
you know, even taking time to listen to a book on tape that gives you three new ideas or changes your mindset so you walk into work happier, more fulfilled is also valuable. So not all professional development is going to take a semester long. It could just be a nice beach read in the summer, one that includes a professional leadership book. And, you know, you should, you, you should share your professional development formally also. Yes. I, 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 I'm sure you said this earlier, but I'm just kind of reinforcing for myself that you want your sup- supervisors to know how you're spending your professional development time. Yes. What you've achieved, certificates, mm-hmm. or even just learning. Just learning mm-hmm. that maybe not doesn't come with a certificate. Yes. And you definitely, it's always great to let the people know what you're working on, what ideas you're like brainstorming that you can bring to the company. And these are like at the water cooler, <laughs> during your uh, official supervisions, setting your goal sets for the year. These are all great times to talk about it. And self-promotion could be self-advocacy. So we are not being braggarts. We're sharing the information we have so we can be a resource. That's why I'm telling you that I have a master's degree. That's why I'm telling you what I'm certified in. So I can be a resource. Like my whole goal is to learn and give back and change my community. Like when I learned that we can do free cover letters in Google and they have a whole online training teaching you the Google products based on a cover letter, this is going to totally help my neighbor who can't invest in a $2,000 employment coach being advertised on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. You make a very good point, too, about self-promotion. So many folks are you know, fearful of that. They, mm-hmm. they, they feel they are bragging, like you mm-hmm. said. And it, it's not, you, you position it very well to say you know, you're positioning yourself as a resource to the, to the organization, to your superiors, mm-hmm. to your peers, too. Not yes. only your supervisors, but um, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that so many folks are hesitant to talk themselves up. Yes. And this is where, like, a good leadership book can help you, to help you reframe that mindset. You know, in the classroom, we're not supposed to talk about grades. You know, we're supposed to keep them secret. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But, like, that mindset doesn't necessarily work in the workforce. There's a session here at NTC, and I'm interviewing the the woman who's running it about uh, having a powerful voice. What is, like, what is voice for power? Something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I'm talking to her later today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just one, one instance of, uh, I guess, building confidence. Yes. You know, sounding confident mm-hmm. exudes confidence. Yes. You may be trembling inside, but can you at least sound confident? Yes. And the thing is, it's much easier to access your confidence when you understand your purpose. Oh, very good. Spell that out a little. That's excellent. So for me, I am a messenger and it is my job to get the message out. Public speaking wasn't my first choice, but public speaking and doing panels at places like NTC allows me to get this much needed information out. 
there are so many people in these current economic times who just can't invest a $10,000 cash payment into a boot camp to change their life. But there are entry points for the free level, the LinkedIn learning level, the $15 certificate level that can get you on the path of change. And those are the messages that I have to get out because my purpose is being a messenger. It's not being a know-it-all. It's not being a braggart. It's being a messenger to change people's lives. And when I know this is my purpose, it's so much easier to get up and talk on this radio show, to do these panels, to get on the plane and go across the country to have these conversations because I know my message is so valuable to my community. I feel like it's a perfect place to stop. Mm-hmm. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Kalenda Allen James, Assistant Vice President for Information Technology at Common Point, Queens. And she did come across the country. She came from New York to Denver, Colorado. And uh, her podcast is Study Hall with Kalenda the Tech. Yes. All right. Thank you very much, Kalenda. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. I loved it. And thank you for being with our coverage of 23NTC, the nonprofit technology conference where we are sponsored by Heller Consulting, technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. Thanks for being with us. Next week, artificial intelligence for nonprofits with an esteemed panel, Beth Cantor, Allison Fine, Afua Bruce, and George Weiner. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by DonorBox. I'm grateful to DonorBox. With intuitive fundraising software, your donors give four times faster. Helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great 